Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on thebigscreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. It's another round of Rick and Nick Talk Flicks, and boy, is this going to be a big one. Welcome. It's good to have you here. Uh, I think we've got another guest who's with us as well, it appears, by the sounds emanating from across the table from me. And yes, as you heard, once again, it is not Rick and Nick hosting. I'm Joel Hoover. I am your father. Dave is just a little excited about today's topic, and he has been here for quite some time. This is going to be a fun one. Yes, it's going to be a very fun one, a topic that you and I both know very well and could talk quite a long time about. We'll see how long it goes today, although if people are listening right now, I believe they already know how long it's going to go today if it popped up there on the screen. A couple of warnings right off the bat. Probably going to talk some spoilers. In fact, I can guarantee there will be spoilers. So if you're a Star Wars fan and have not seen them and don't want to know what's going to happen, turn away now. Secondly, if you're only kind of a Star Wars fan, you are about to hear a nerd explosion on Star Wars. If you can handle getting some of the mess on you, carry on. That's right. If you can handle getting the mess on you, which I think some people are in a better position to be able to do than others. But, uh, yeah, we will carry on regardless, and we will do so with all of the fandom and excitement that we have regarding Star Wars. In fact, we're recording today exactly one month away from when the new movie will come out. So that worked out extremely well, Dave. Allegedly going to come out. You know when we get, like, the week of... Opening two days early. It'll open on a well, Tuesday or something. There's that. Yes, there, we do sometimes get those instances where things come come about a little bit sooner than you would think. Yep. So the new one, The Last Jedi, Episode Eight. To say there's hype around this, Star Wars is back on top, baby. And I'll tell you what, you know where I'm going to go see this movie is at the Bemidji Theater. It's going to be a great spot to see Star Wars. They sponsor our podcast, uh, Missy and the Crew. What a great! I've seen. Mo, I think actually, I've seen every single Star Wars movie. If you count the re-releases, every single one of them at the Bemidji Theater. So Fantastic. I got to keep it going. Yeah, the streak is on. So why not? Yes. Yeah, so thank you to the Bemidji Theater for sponsoring the podcast. We are really pleased to have them on board as a sponsor for this, and we're both very, very excited to go see the new Star Wars movie, a month from now at the Bemidji Theater when it is released. It's going to be pretty fantastic. I don't know if he was fooling with me or not, but Tom Lucas just this morning said, yeah, I've never seen any of those Star Wars movies. I almost want to take him aside and show him what life is like. Show him the sweet taste of awesomeness. I think that sounds like a pretty good idea. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, Poor guy. Let him enjoy the experience uh, that we have gotten to enjoy by seeing these movies. <laughs> so, Hoove, let me start like this. Um, Star Wars, everybody has to have an introduction. Um, what was your first introduction to Star Wars? My first introduction to Star Wars that I can recall came when I was just a couple years old. I, I still remember being... Six, seven, eight, nine years old, somewhere in in that range, and I yeah, seven or eight years old, I think, 
And I remember being over at my cousin's house, and I don't know who introduced the movies to me, but they were on this old VHS tape, and and they had these. I I still remember they had these these really great um, old trailers for the Star Wars saga when it was re-released on VHS. And actually, I found an old YouTube video of that. I know the one you old, mean. That old trailer. It, it have these these explosions. It'd be the Empire Strikes Back. Oh yeah. I remember. And it would show that old explosion of, of the, the Death Star exploding and the old footage of it. And then it would go into Return of the Jedi. And that and, pulled you in? Yeah, it, I, I really enjoyed that. And then they showed a couple of the clips strung together and they had the music I running I don't even in the know background. what a Jedi is, but it I was, want to see him return. It was cool. But then, but, then I, uh, but then I watched them consecutively, I remember, over at my cousin's house. Um, I was in a room separate from everybody else watching these movies and... My my younger siblings and my younger cousin were not allowed to watch the movies yet because I was I was old enough my my family felt to be able to watch these movies with the the violence of Star Wars at the time. I mean, keep in mind I was only a couple years old at the time. You so. were seven years old or so, something like that. Yeah, so I was at the time though I was allowed to be able to watch them. And then a couple of years later, then we got we got all three movies my my family did on on this VHS collection. Uh, that we had for the movies, and I would pop them in and and watch them. Actually, that was back when it was after Episode One came out, and then around when Episode Two came out is when uh, I think they re-released the the original three movies uh, on VHS oh, again. And we got we got them. My family did, and I would watch them at home. And I, I distinctly remember, and we'll get into this more um, when we discuss our favorite one in the series. And I'll explain why this one was my favorite one, but. I remember very distinctly, I would watch all three movies, and then there was one movie in particular that I kept going back to and watching over and over again. Even though it wasn't the, it, it wasn't necessarily in order, I'd go back to this movie and sure. I would watch it over and over again. And when I look back on it, I, I realize that was when I first started to figure out what a really good movie was. Because yeah. this was an extremely good movie, and I kept watching it over and over again. And I don't know why I picked this one out in particular, except that... There were certain elements of it that pulled me in even when I was pretty young. Yeah. What about you, Dave? What was your first experience? I am maybe one of the few people that I've ever heard of that can say Star Wars was the first movie I ever saw ever, and it was in the theater when it first came out. I was about nine months old. I was born in October of 76. So, yes, do the math. I'm 41. Um, that movie came out when I was about nine months old, June of 77. Uh, I don't remember seeing it. But my dad had told me that we, yeah, we went and we heard a lot of things about it, and it was because it changed movies. It just did. It's just not up for debate. It did. So my parents, they like movies. They thought they'd go see it. They didn't really like it that much. It wasn't their cup of tea, but they were there, and they brought me with them. Um, so the movie had been out for a while. I assume it wasn't a crying baby situation. They say I seemed to like it, but I don't remember seeing it. When I remember seeing it for the first time, though, was – when they had released uh, Empire Strikes Back, they re-released the original movie. And that's when I saw it for the second time. The first time I remember seeing it, and I fell in love with it immediately. But I saw the first trilogy out of order. So for some reason, my parents didn't take me to see Empire Strikes Back. They figured that there was only one Star Wars or whatever. And uh, so I saw Return of the Jedi 
And I had questions. Well, how did Han get frozen? Because I hadn't seen Empire Strikes Back. Oh, what, my. What's, what's up with Luke's hand? What? 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 So you the know? questions pulled you. Yeah. In. Well, it was it was kind of confusing. If you get it way out of order, and if you know Star Wars, there's some major plot points that you kind of it's helpful to understand. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get it, and then I got to see Empire later. But it was uh, that was my introduction, and I loved it. And the fact now that I've got a little man at home, it was a year and a half. He's too young to show him Star Wars. Now, if the Disney's got the Clone Wars on a cartoon show, sure, we'll put that on. Um, but he's not interested in watching stuff right now. But when that starts to change, and we'll have, I'm sure, that special night. You know, buddy, I'm going to show you something that's going to change your life. Okay, Dad. I look so forward to that. But here's a big question for that, and, and this is a good question, too, to raise now I know where with, you're going. with how many movies there are. Where will you start? Honestly, I would start with him... If I was talking to somebody even my age for some weird reason that had never seen a Star Wars movie, as of right now, I would probably start with Rogue One. Because You'd start with Rogue One? I'd start with wow. Rogue One because it ties into the original trilogy. I would probably not start somebody off with the prequel trilogy. While it's not bad movies, per se, they just don't live up to the bar that Star Wars had set. I'm sorry, they just don't. So I wouldn't want to. There are elements in those movies. There's elements that are are really good. There's elements that are fantastic, and there's elements that really aren't. And the movie just drags, you know. And I'm a Star Wars fan, and I found myself looking at my watch the very first time I ever saw the Phantom Menace, and that is bad sign. Yeah, you do. You you almost want to be surprised that the movie's over. So if I'm a Star Wars fan and I'm looking at my watch, bad bad sign. That's all that I need to say. But Rogue One has got. The benefits of modern technology, it looks fantastic. So if you're into special effects and things, it's going to pull you in. Now, granted, they've redone things like that for the new Star Wars movie to its credit or to its demise. And I think we'll talk about that here coming up. Yeah. Um, uh, So you can be brought in like that. Sometimes if you show someone the original Star Trek, for example, those sets are cardboard. It looks fake. It's cheesy. You're not getting the full message of it. But if Rogue One gets you in... Well, guess what happens immediately after the events of Rogue One? You get right into the original trilogy. If you like this, think of Rogue One as the trailer for what's yet to come. You have yet to meet Skywalker. You have yet to meet anything. Darth Vader's a pretty scary guy. You know, it's a great launching pad, and that's that's just me. If I have a family someday, or if I am introducing these movies to somebody, I would still start with the original I would still go there because I I love going in the chronological order in terms of when these movies were released. I I think it's only fitting, it feels like, to go in that order because that was the order that people saw these movies come about in that progression. Even for me, when I got latched onto these movies in, in the 90s, just before the, the, the first one, the episode one came out, I went in that order, four, five, six, then yeah. came one, then we waited for two, then we waited we for all three. Did. Yeah. So I'm I'm used to and conditioned to doing it that way, and I, I think I would go in that order and just let whoever I'm showing it to pick up the progression of the story in the same manner that I did. I think there's some enjoyment to doing it that way. So let me ask you a, a deeper question. We'll get a little heavy front-loaded on this thing. What is it about Star Wars? There's think, How many franchises of different things are there? There's James Bond. There's Star Trek. There's you name it. There's 101 of them. What is it about Star Wars that just seems to have such a stranglehold on our, maybe for lack of a better word, passion? I think we can expand that question 
and include the way people approached this movie back in 1977 when it was first released. Well, even people that weren't watching it in 77, kids nowadays, that Star Wars is already an established behemoth right. and they get dipped into it, this still has the same effect. I think... I think their parents have a lot to do with that because yeah. the, because there's a lot of excitement that that their parents have over it simply because they grew up at that time when these movies came along. My mom and dad have have told me this story. They were teenagers when when Star Wars came out, the the original one. And they said it was mind-blowing. They said it was game-changing. This was a completely different kind of movie than people had ever seen to this point. And and it was it was such a game changer with the way that it it brought so much to the table. The special effects were extraordinary to be able to to use them within the context of space like that. The heroes and villains were were so well crafted in terms of their their place in in this larger story that they had. You've got this this boy in Luke Skywalker who comes out of nowhere and becomes a hero. You have this this cocky gunslinger in Han Solo for a smuggler. You've got the princess in in Leia who has a lot of spunk to her and her own bit of personality and individuality. You've got this iconic villain in Darth Vader with with this body full of armor and this this breathing sound that he makes and then this I mean which is the very first sound you hear emanating from him is this breathing noise and then you hear the voice of James Earl Jones. You have you have robots. You have a war that's taking place. You have a rebellion that's going on. All these elements on these foreign planets that you get taken to. Sci-fi previously to before this movie, its biggest it, it had several huge moments, maybe none bigger than than 2001 a Space Odyssey, but there was also things like The Day the Earth Stood Still and and other moments like that where sci-fi had had taken root but it had never i think captivated such a grand audience in the way that star wars did when it came about mainly because of those elements so perfectly fitting together into this adventure story in space that people had never been privy to before and now suddenly they're getting to take this in in this movie i think you've got a good answer for what i think is kind of a two-part question what is it about star wars when you look at it chronologically, and what is it about Star Wars in general? Uh, 1977, movies just were not made this way. They just did not exist that way. You uh, and I have talked about that quite a bit. Yeah, the grandiose score. I mean, if you look at movies... Oh, the score's amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah but, pre, but other movies leading up to that. Even other John Williams who had done the score to Star Wars had done other movies like Jaws, most famously at that point. Um, and while it's a kind of a minimalist score for Jaws, it has its rich qualities, too. I mean, da da Da-da. It's not exactly what I would call hardcore and intricate. It's but pretty iconic. Pretty iconic, yeah. Uh, Steven Spielberg thought he was joking when he played it to him for the first time. He was like, that's <laughs> funny. What is it really? No, that's what it is. So he did Star Wars. It was the most grand, over-the-top orchestral score, and it was gorgeous. But nothing since the days of the early musicals that had gone out of fashion over a decade earlier, nothing since that had been anything like that. Special effects, they'd shut down a lot of the special effects labs that had done things like the creature effects from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and so forth. So George Lucas had to create his own industrial light and magic, which still to this day is the pinnacle top as far as movie production houses with special effects. It changed everything, whether you are a Star Wars fan or not. So watching it live and in person in 1977 when it came out, absolutely it would grab you. But the other part to the question is, 
So it's not 1977 anymore. You may have seen other great movies. You may have seen Avatar. It looks fantastic. It, it didn't change movies, but it really was something. You've seen a lot of great movies that are in the vein of Star Wars, and then you see Star Wars. Why does it still have the power to pull you in? Because it may have changed movies, but movies since are what Star Wars made them, so to speak. So what is it about the power of Star Wars that even now in 2017, as we're recording this, still makes this have the legs that it does? Because I think it's been that handing down from generation to generation in such a way that we've had. Because you had that original three movies that came out and left such a huge imprint, and then suddenly it gets announced in the mid-90s, George Lucas, he's ready to bring back the series for three more, the three prequel movies. They're going to be coming about now. He's ready. He feels he has the technology to be able to do it. They come about. They had and grabbed all the interest that they did. Then suddenly comes the third iteration of this, the buying of Lucasfilm by Disney, and suddenly there's that renewed excitement again that you're going back to a galaxy far, far away, and you're going on this adventure story, you're going and being a part of this saga that that just continues to to produce these stories that come from it. And it's I, I think there is that that other world kind of saga that it that it has to it, the space element, the the warring element of it all. I, I think all those things work together to make Star Wars what it is and to have that grabbing effect. It's become a cultural item that has spanned over the decades. You mentioned James Bond. In a similar way, Star yeah. Wars has spanned the decades with the way that it has grabbed a hold of culture and pop culture and has gotten so many people on board with, with the story. I One of the things I like, you talk about handing it down to the generations, and I think you're very correct on that. Go to YouTube, and you can probably look this up. Don't do it right now. You can look at it later. Um, parents that are showing their kids now Star Wars. They've, the parents have loved Star Wars, and now the kids are old enough. And they get to that point where they're learning Star Wars, and now they're in The Empire Strikes Back, and they're coming up to what is probably the greatest twist. You all know what we're talking about, and I've already warned you about spoilers, but the movie came out over 30 years ago, so be forewarned. No, I am your father, Luke. It's, and you watch these, and the, and the parents, they're filming the kids, watching yep. this unfold before them so the kids are completely enraptured. He's going Darth Vader's going to kill Luke. Darth Vader's going what, what what and you just watch their faces contort. Yep. And sometimes they just freak out crying and they have to pause the movie and get back to it later. He can't possibly be his father. I, it's fun to watch that because that's how I felt when it happened to me the first time. And the parents know it's coming and they're ready for it and it's a hoot and a half. Oh. It pulls on your heartstrings even though you're watching crying kids. It's still awesome to watch. I shouldn't say that, but it is kind of awesome to watch. I gotta find some reaction videos of that. That I never thought to look up something yeah. like that. That's yeah, it's pretty it's, great. It's fun. I will at some point uh, when we get to that point years down the road. I might be thinking about that when uh, my little man sees it. Let me ask you a, a topical question, Dave. Yeah. As as we remind you that Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, which will be a great place to go see the upcoming Star Wars movie, which will be out December fifteenth. I think I could be wrong, but I think tickets are on sale right now for this. So okay, you can, you can get your tickets right now at the Excellent. Bemidji Theater. Now, Dave, um, when you heard the news that Lucasfilm had been bought by Disney and that there were plans to make more Star Wars movies. How did you feel about adding on to the original six movies that had been made? Fantastic. You were you were okay with adding more on to the story, no matter how many movies it might be, no matter how much it might add on to it all? You were, you were excited yes. about it? 
Well, this will take us down another alley. I was I, I figured we'd get to this point, but we kind of got there sooner than I thought. But that's okay. Um, depending on who you listen to, and George Lucas has contradicted himself, but I do believe that he – he'll say that originally he'd come up with the idea and came up with a draft and he had six and a nine-part story and just for whatever reason decided to start with part four. That's eh, true and it's not true. I don't think he quite had things mapped out so much as until after he had done the original Star Wars, and that's when episode four showed up. It wasn't when it was first released in 1977. It was on its first release, re-release, around the time of Empire Strikes Back. That's when they added episode four, A New Hope. It was just Star Wars the first time. Right. So he'd come up with a big, grand story, but he hadn't really mapped it out. He knew there was a backstory. He knew there was, you know, that Anakin had fallen to the dark side and Anakin Starkiller, as they was called originally, and all this stuff. But he hadn't mapped it out first episode one, two, and three. But we'll do four, and then we'll go to nine. There, but there became early on uh, outline, very rough draft outline. Now Gary Kurtz, who was a producer on the first two Star Wars, and by that I mean the original and Empire Strikes Back. He and Lucas, in a lot of ways, really crafted Star Wars. According to Gary Kurtz and others, Gary Kurtz was largely responsible for the mysticism part of Star Wars, the Force. That wasn't really George Lucas's thing. That was more Gary Kurtz's thing. So Gary Kurtz and George Lucas eventually had a bit of a falling out. Kurtz left the franchise because Kurtz would challenge George Lucas. George would want to do something, and Kurtz would say, no, let's, let's rethink this. When Kurtz was out of the picture, that's when Star Wars kind of started to go off the rails. You could start to see signs of this in Return of the Jedi. Whether you're a fan of the Ewoks or not, they were cute little teddy bears that he yeah. could sell. He was, uh, Harrison Ford was famous for saying, you know, Han Solo was originally supposed to die in Return of the Jedi. He was going to sacrifice himself to save the guys. Well, that didn't happen because George Lucas realized, as Harrison Ford put it, you could sell more action figures than the dead Han Solo action figure, you know? <laughs> so you have Chewbacca swinging onto the machine with the Tarzan yell. So you don't have Gary Kurtz to question George Lucas. And right. Went even more so off the rails with the prequel trilogies. So now George Lucas has gotten into a war with his fan base. It just it started with the re-release, I think, of the Star Wars movies. You started redoing special effects. You've got right. uh, Darth Vader yelling, no, you got all these problems. And the fans started to rebel. And George Lucas basically said, hey, it's my ball or go home. And I don't think that was the right approach. So by the time that Revenge of the Sith came out, there just wasn't hype anymore for there Star Wars. There was fatigue, even though Revenge of the Sith was an excellent it movie. Was. And I think maybe the most underrated movie in the series. I would agree with that completely. I think it's better than Return of the Jedi. It is right now my third favorite Star Wars movie. We'll get to that when later. I, when I rank them. Yeah. But by that point when the movie came out, no one knew if it was going to be good or not. All they knew was that the prequel movies weren't all that good. So the hype for Phantom Menace, when it's coming out, I have never before or since seen hype like that because at that point it had been what 16 17 18 years it was off the charts it was off the charts i have never ever seen anything like that this is where the whole midnight showing began star wars yes um it wasn't the best movie attack of the clothes had hype but nothing like phantom menace and by the time episode three came out and here's star wars it just tried to get it out the door to get this thing over with because the bloom was off the road well the thing that really helped revenge of the sith was that image of darth vader slowly rising and appearing and everyone knew 
this is what has been built toward with this prequel series. Now we're going to see just how it all plays out. I think in a lot of ways it was like when they were going to do The Hobbit and they turned one book into three movies to span it out. I think the prequel trilogy probably could have been better served if it was two movies rather than uh, three. That makes me think of the Topher Grace cut. Where is it? Yeah. I wish that it was out there so I could watch it. The Topher Grace cut of the first three, the three prequel movies, and see how he put them all together. How much of a chunk of the prequel movies, one and two in particular, are like watching C-SPAN. It's like watching the Galactic Senate argue and bicker over bills and, will you negotiate this trade <laughs> settlement? Will you allow this embargo? It's, who cares? I didn't watch Star Wars. Star Wars is an old Western is what it is, but with spaceships and ray guns rather than six shooters and horse wagons, that's what Star Wars is. Not that. So as this culture breaks down, it becomes the old West in Revenge of the Sith. This is what Star Wars, when they said we're going to make prequel movies, we all wanted to see what ultimately became Revenge of the Sith. Not the final transformation, but the journey. And I really feel the journey was really shown in Revenge of the Sith. So by the time that movie had come out, and he's not going to release the original movies the way they were originally with none of the special editions, he's just kind of done, to, I'm just, my rules, you go home, I don't even care. He just had a falling out with his fan base, and this is a guy yeah. that was revered. It, I hate to say it, it was time for him to go. And so this this coming of Disney was a good thing it was then a in, that send, in that yes. regard. Well, and, and people were concerned that this is going to be cutified. You know, we're going to have little Mickey Stormtroopers, and we're going to just... Ma- Disney can get a little dark if they need to. And we with, with two of those movies out now, we've already seen The Force Awakens, we've already seen Rogue One. Clearly, they are tapped well into the vein of what Star Wars should be and is continuing to be. They've not cutified it at all. Now, well, there are questions about these porgs that are supposedly coming up in this new movie. I, can't, I reserve judgment. If they become like the new Ewoks or Jar Jar Binks, I might have something to say about it. But if they're just something kind of cute in the side, like, say, uh, the Tauntauns were, uh, which I who didn't want a little Tauntaun when they were kids? True. You know, I mean, there's little cute moments in some of the Star Wars movies that are pretty good. Those guys on uh, Bespin that were in charge of the scrapyard. I don't know what they're the little pigmen. Or the guy who talked in another language with Lando in Episode Six, and Lando knew exactly what he was saying. Well, like Chewbacca, same thing, and the droids. You know, there's there can be cute moments if it's just become about how cute are the little porgs, and it becomes the new Jar Jar. I might have something to say about it, but as of right now, I've got to reserve judgment. You know me, Dave. I'm a guy who likes preservation of of a story, and I like seeing stories have an end sometimes when it comes to movies because I I like to think, okay, run this story as much as you can, then let's find a new story. The great thing about Star Wars is it's a big canvas, and there's there's a lot of, of recent news regarding that with Ryan Johnson's new trilogy that is apparently set for the near future that he will be doing for Star Wars, which is going to be in a completely different corner of the galaxy. Star Wars lends itself to a canvas like that, where you can tell a lot of stories across one big landscape like that. My way of thinking when it comes to movies is, let's have an ending to this story, and let's let's cut this off here at a certain point. I was pleased with that, with, with the way the six movies had gone before the buying up of Lucas, Lucasfilm and LucasArts from, well, Lucasfilm from Disney. Um, when that news was announced, I kind of had that feeling when I heard that Toy Story 4 is going to be a thing. It's like, oh no. We got an ending. 
We got an ending, and I'm feeling pretty good about that ending. We have the completed saga here. Let's let's end it there. And and then when I thought about all of the non-canon, which is now the things that are now non-canon that have become that had become canon, the books, the the you're, other you're iterations, back to Star Wars now. The, yeah, the right. other the other different things that have been created, fiction-wise, fan fiction for Star Wars, and the way that those things were now going to be nullified. It was kind of disappointing to think about that because that's what also added to the tapestry of Star Wars was not just what you saw on screen, but the incredible fan fiction that had sprouted off screen in books primarily and also in graphic novels and had become such a part of the lore of the Star Wars universe. And now that was all getting scrapped into the legends of of the Star Wars universe was basically what they were becoming. And I was kind of disappointed with that. Now, well, but but, why it, let but it? again, but again, you're you are right about that, and and that's why when I started thinking about the tapestry of this big universe, it's like there maybe could be room to tell more stories. But then you get concerned of, well, what are they going to do with it? What is their creative vision going to do to a character like Luke Skywalker? I think there are some genuine questions of how dark his character is going to be in this upcoming movie. It, has he completely lost his way, and is there no going back, which seems just befuddling given where his character was at the end of the original trilogy? Where is all of this going to go with a character like him? How much are they going to change the characters that we know? Who are they going to kill? I mean, they, they killed off Han Solo there in the last movie, and it's like, no! But I guess you could see that coming, though, at the same time, too. Um, but you would like to see a nice send-off for some of these characters. That just doesn't work that way sometimes in movies, though. But, point being, I liked that there was a kind of a tying off of that story. Now, if they close it off after this, the conclusion of this particular trilogy and then move elsewhere in the galaxy... I would say that kind of serves the purpose, much in the same way that each James Bond story tells its own story, and then you move on to something kind of new from there, or or even a new character representation from there. That sort of is what keeps that series going and that storytelling going. With Star Wars, if that's what it can become in sort of a similar fashion, then I think that it might work out pretty well and work out better than what I was concerned about when they first bought it up, that it was just going to be movie after movie after movie after movie hammering out little details on everything rather than let's find something new in the tapestry that we have before us to be able to tell this story. Well, you bring up a couple of good points, uh, so I'll respond to them real quick. That's some that I would like to respond to. Uh, the expanded universe you talked about, things like Shadows of the Empire and what had happened after Return of the Jedi. And I don't mean The Force Awakens. I mean all the books and yeah. the resurrection of Which, the Empire. Which there are some great and, books. I've read some yeah. of them. Think, you know, what's going on in a lot of different movies now? You're getting where they get to a point in the established canon and they branch off something different. They've done that with Star Trek, with the uh, Kelvinverse. You've got that now with, uh, they're going to do that with Halloween. They're going to go back and they're going to, they've, uh, they're basically going to pick up after the original Halloween. So all the sequels don't matter. So that'll be next Halloween that'll come out. We'll get more specific. And there's others that have done this with too, where they just get to a point like, we don't like where it went after here. They're going to do this with Alien now. They're doing a new, potentially new Alien movie that we could branch off. So why can't this happen with Star Wars? So officially, Disney has decided what is and isn't going to be canon. So all the expanded universe stuff, it's interesting, and maybe elements of it will work its way back into canon, but it's no longer canon. Says who? You know, as far as the official canon goes, okay, it's not for real. 
But as a fan, if you choose to embrace that and go after Return of the Jedi and forget about The Force Awakens and go into the expanded universe, who says you can't do that and who says you can't enjoy that? So if that's something that you feel has been taken from you, I say, why let it be? You know, that's just my perspective. Or um, you embrace the elements that you really enjoy yeah. and, just, and just kind of stick with them. It's a choose-your-own-adventure book. You know, yeah. if you get to one point in the saga, you can go left or you can go right. Why don't you do both? How many times would you go and do your choose-your-own-adventure book? For those of you kids that are too young to not even know what those were, go look them up. I just, I don't, would, I just don't want to see it get a watered down. You know? I agree. Yeah. And there was concern that that would happen. But that brings me to another point. George Lucas had said somewhere during the making of the prequel trilogy that really when this is all done and you stand back and you look at all of it, it's really about generations. It's about family and it's how things go. The prequel trilogy was about Anakin and Padme and and evolving to what they evolved into, carrying into the next generation, Luke and Leia. And now it's going into the next generation. You have Kylo Ren and... Who knows? We might find out in this new movie what Ray's lineage is. But we're going to start figuring that. I'm out pretty more in sure this movie. she's going to be tied in somehow to somebody. Yeah, I I would all but guarantee it. Yeah. So this is about them. So where this will tie up at the end of episode nine, the hint is, especially with this new trilogy, this fourth trilogy uh, that Ryan Johnson is going to be doing after episode nine. From the sounds of it, it's not going to be about the Skywalker saga anymore. It's going to involve some other corner of the galaxy, which doesn't necessarily mean that Episode Nine will tie it off. But look at what's going on. What's Mark Hamill now? He's 60. You know, Do you think he's going to be doing standing backflips as Luke Skywalker 20 years from now? No. No. Not without some serious CGI help. you got Vader already long gone. Who knows what the fate will be of some of these characters moving forward. But we've already lost Carrie Fisher. And Princess Leia is a big part of this. She was going to be a big part of Episode Nine, but that can't happen now. So they had to make some story changes. Um, they have said, uh, I don't know if this is a spoiler or not, but we did say we can spoil, but and I haven't seen the movie, obviously. They do say that Princess Leia isn't going to be killed off. Yeah, General Leia, I heard, gets a, a, a proper She gets send-off, a send-off, yeah. but she's not. So what exactly does that mean at this point, one month before the release? I don't know. But they're not going to kill her off. So she's not going to be involved, at least not on screen. But maybe she goes off to take care. I got this, guys. You guys take care of this. I'll go over here and take care of that. And that'll get taken care of in Episode Nine unseen. Who knows? Mm. Uh, or she gets sent up to some royal status. I don't know. Um, but Carrie Fisher can't be a part of this. And you're not going to recast that either to carry it forward. So at some point, you just lose some of the parts to move forward. Now, yeah. Adam Driver and Daisy Ridley and so forth... Can they carry forward if the Skywalker saga was to go forward? Absolutely they could, and maybe they will. Don't never say never. Maybe they're going to wait a couple of you know decades before they bring them back for another go-round. Who knows? Um, but it, it's, it's about generations. It's about sagas. So when you take a look at the whole thing, if you look at the first six movies, it's about the rise and fall of Anakin Skywalker. When you start factoring in the new sequel trilogy, it's more than that. He's the patriarch. And Luke and Leia really are just the linchpins to connect, I'm assuming, Rey and Kylo Ren to Anakin Skywalker and Mm -hmm. how this whole thing gets carried in. So it's a bigger piece of the pie than just one guy. Do you want to get a little bit more on a micro level now? Bring it. Let's talk favorite favorite characters. Okay. How about that? I know there are a lot of memorable characters from the Star Wars series and people who really stand out both from who portrays them and from just the way that they are represented on screen. 
Do you have a couple of favorites, and do you have one that stands out from the rest? Let me put it to you this way. Stay with me now here. When I was a little kid, we had Star Wars bed sheets on my bed. I stopped wetting the bed because I didn't want to wet on Luke Skywalker. <laughs> Luke helped me not wet the bed anymore. So you are really hopeful that he is going to be okay here in this upcoming movie, right? I, well, you know, it is what it is. If Luke, It's part of the story. If yeah. Luke has to go, Luke has to go, if you're, that's what happens. You're hoping that he hasn't gone totally dark. I Honestly, I don't think that's going to be the case. I, I know what you're getting at. There's the, the two posters that, sh- that kind of go side by side. If you put them side by side... Everyone has a counterpoint, and Luke is on both posters. You got the good guys and the bad guys, and Luke's on both. You're like, what? Is he going to turn dark? Have you seen this poster? I have not, no. There's two, po- I think it's the Japanese poster. It's There's two of them, there's, and they go side by side if you put them side by side. So there are mirror images of one another. And you have Ray and you have Kylo Ren in the same position on either poster. So they're like the counterpoint. And then the big shadowy figure that looms over both is Luke Skywalker on both the good guy and the bad guy side. So a lot of fans are thinking, oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. He's going to go to the dark side. Oh, wow. I'm just seeing this now. You're right. Oh, my. But think about this. And Mark Hamill is- Are we being trolled? I think so. I think so. Because, and I believe this. Of course, the movie hasn't come out, so who knows. Uh, Mark Hamill, clearly his character- is doubting himself. So who's who's the big antithesis, or who's the who's the the counterpoint to Luke's good side? Luke doubting himself. Luke had opened this Jedi Academy that Kylo Ren completely ran amok to the point that Luke had to go into exile. He seems to be reluctant to want to train Rey, and there will be the last Jedi. Even the teaser trailer is time for the Jedi to end. Clearly, he's got self confidence issues and doubt issues. So really, what is Luke's biggest uh, opponent in this? Luke himself overcoming his his doubts, his fears, his confidence. So, and maybe that's the part of it. It's got a lot of fans talking that it's to be literal, and that Luke's going to go to the dark side. I don't see that coming, personally. I I don't think that's going to be the case. I think Luke is versus Luke, if he can overcome his doubting side look at your face you are so wrapped into this poster. <laughs> yeah, I'm really diving deep into this here. Yeah, trying to to get this all figured out, but I I would say Luke is my favorite character, though. Yeah, there's no um, there's no supreme leader Snoke who's over there either, so that's that's really interesting. He doesn't have a, but the whole idea is counterpart, you know. So who would be the counterpart to Snoke? Maybe General Leia, I suppose. Maybe, but are they really in direct conflict? Everyone's got some sort of a counterpart if you look at those two posters side by side needless to say that's going to be one of the biggest talking points of this upcoming movie is what happens with luke and his own role in all of this is he in some gray area here on it all still hard to tell so you love luke skywalker any other characters who really stand out i i like boba fett you know there's something mysterious about the fett you know boba fett is a really fascinating character because he has has really grabbed hold of a a, a base of star wars fans who love him my brothers included their favorite character was boba fett they loved him and people love using him in the battlefront games and everything he's he is a character who got so little time on screen and yet Here's this bounty hunter in cool armor with a, a bit of a mysterious voice, and yet he latched on. There's a lot of the subtlety about him. Things that are present right in front of your face that aren't explained, you come up with it on your own. For example, part of his costume, he's got these little tassel things. Well, if you read into people that read into this deeper, 
They're like Wookiee scalps. So when he kills, I mean, how hard is it to kill a Wookiee? Pretty difficult. So he scalps him and wears him as trophies on his armor. The way he holds his gun, he's almost caressing it as if it was his child. It's a weapon, you know, but he's holding it with such a gentle, almost paternal vibe about it. Like he's, you know, this is my gun and there's no other guns like it. This is old Bessie. You know what? It's that kind of a vibe. It's who does that? That's such a big bad guy. Clint Eastwood never did that. John Wayne never did that. Darth Vader certainly doesn't cradle his lightsaber hilt, but there's Boba Fett all but ready to put his gun gently down for a nap. It's just it's just the subtlety of it. It was interesting. The way he moved, the way he was just kind of there, spoke softly but carried a big bad stick, you know? So Boba as well, any others? Or... I like Obi-Wan. Yeah. Obi-Wan is the wise old guy who doesn't want to fight but gets pulled back into it out of obligation. He's kind of the uh, smooth guiding hand. And uh, whether we're going to see more of that smooth guiding hand, there's rumors that at some point Ewan McGregor could come back into the fold. Whether in this pre, whether in the sequels, maybe because um, well, there could is come the in old, force. there is the old Obi Wan movie that's going to be coming up here as one of the spinoffs. There's talk that, that yeah. in between between episode three and episode four, that it looks yeah. like is where that might fall. Which and Ewan has said he'd about. be happy to do it, and he did make a voice cameo in the Force Awakens. He did. So could he come back in force form and maybe help pull Luke out of his funk? He certainly could, you know, maybe even Qui-Gon. Who knows? But uh, absolutely. He was a good guy, uh, wise, leading, gentle, calm, but badass influence. So I like Obi-Wan. Those probably be my three favorites. And who doesn't? I love them all. But I'm sad to see Han go uh, if Luke dies or turns to the dark side. And even watching Carrie Fisher's last scene, because you know she's probably going to live. But you know you're never going to see her again. There's mm-hmm. something going to be sad about that. As far as characters go for me, yeah, I me. I liked the Dirty Dozen nature of Rogue One. And I liked yeah. the band that sort of got formed within that movie. I think they, they found really good niche roles for everybody in there. And of course, Jyn Erso being the quote-unquote leader of the pack in there, I, I thought her character was a really good one. And, and it wasn't just that she popped out above everybody else as a leader, but just that she kind of fit in with that band and that crew that they had put together. And her character worked extremely well. I I, I loved that movie. That movie made me somewhat glad that there was more expansion done with these movies. I That movie sort of restored my faith a little bit after the disappointment in, oh, they're going to add more movies, it's going to water it down. Rogue One was extremely good, and I I liked it more than Force Awakens. I I, I love I loved Rogue One. It is it is an awesome movie, and I like the way that the characters worked that they put together for that movie. So including Jyn Erso and and the way that that she was played by Felicity Jones. Um, so I liked the characters in there. Um, Han Solo is still a favorite of mine. I that that smuggler attitude of his and the way I mean Harrison Ford just popped out on the screen with the way that he that he ran the show with that character and that that cocky nature with it and just the way he handled his business there. It's no wonder Harrison Ford became a superstar. I, I mean he had been in in a, a couple of movies I think pr- not prior many. To that. Yeah, American not- Graffiti really was the one. Yeah, but th- this this w- is what took him to iconic status, and then it just rolled on from there, literally into Indiana Jones yeah. as he chased as he ran away from the rolling ball. Uh, well, the rolling, uh, 
yeah, the rolling boulder. Enough but, to the point that he requested some change in dialogue for his Han Solo and Empire Strikes Back, thinking it was too much like Indiana Jones, and vice versa in Raiders of the Lost Ark. you got to yeah. change some of these lines because they're too much like Han. And it worked out pretty well. I'd say, It worked yeah. out pretty well, yeah. So, I mean, the way he portrayed his character was extremely good. Um, Yoda still stands out in, in a lot of ways to me, and I'll, I'll explain why more when we go into favorite moments from the series, because my favorite moment from the series involves Yoda, and I, I like his character, how he's this, this sage this sage bit of wisdom uh, with some quirkiness to him in the, in the puppet ones of yeah. the, the original movies, and then how he comes back around in the, in the, the prequel trilogy and suddenly he is this not only this master but also this guy who is pretty incredible if you have to put him into into battle and, yeah. and pretty pretty fun to watch if you put him into battle so that was one of the few things from the prequel trilogy that was clearly over the top but it worked. And it was they, fun. The oh. way they marketed that movie, they didn't give it away, and that was awesome. So that was it, a shock. When it happened, he pulls out his lightsaber. My jaw drops. You are not. And oh, oh my god! And then he's hopping that. around. He's oh, bouncing off the walls. That was a, the whole theater was laughing, and it wasn't for the wrong reasons. It was like, oh my god, go you and go. Yeah, it'd be like watching the the one-legged midget beat up the school bully on the playground. You know, you'd be like, oh my god, that's awesome, do it! So it was it was pretty amazing when, when he started doing that and sort of just going to show how different his his character in the prequel was from the, the originals then. But, oh, yeah. but my favorite, far and away for characters goes, is still Obi-Wan Kenobi. I love Obi-Wan Kenobi's character. I think, you know, they, they've done these... They every March in the last couple of years they've done these. I think with the exception of this last March, they've done favorite character bracketology for Star Wars. Like the, these are the odds yeah, on favorite. It's, I think. it's madness. I think is what they've called it. This is mad. This is madness. Yeah. Uh, using the C three PO quote, and I love Obi Wan Kenobi's character. I think he won the first iteration of that bracket or one of the first ones. And then I heard after what you that, did there. He after that won people, the first bracket. I heard, yeah. I heard what you did. So there. they. I mean. There was a great sense of pride in that. I was like, I voted for Obi-Wan because he, he is my favorite character from the series. He becomes that, that wise figure in the prequel trilogies. He is that wise figure helping guide Luke through all that he's going through. But then you start to think, what was he like when he was younger? What was it like when he fought in the Clone Wars with, with Luke's father? Well, then you get to see that in the prequel movies. And for all the disappointment with especially the first two prequel movies – Ewan McGregor, if you watch him closely, is a shining light in those three yeah. movies. He is a fantastic actor. Yeah. He does terrific work on multiple levels in many different movies. He's done voiceover work. He's done great on-screen work. I think he just recently appeared in, in a recent season of Fargo and yep. played two different characters in that series. And He's he's an outstanding actor, and I remember watching a special feature on Revenge of the Sith, and it was about his portrayal of Obi Wan's character. And Ewan talked in that in that feature about how he was working very hard on modeling his mannerisms after Sir Alec Guinness, who portrayed Obi Wan in the prequel trilogy, the original he, trilogy. Yes, he talked. Yeah, the original trilogy, yeah. right? And he talked about how. He, he would model even just the way he 
put his hand to his face and would like feel his his goatee Stroke that he had. His facial yeah. Hair, yeah. In in the same way that that and then they showed a side by side and showed Sir Alec Guinness kind of stroking his chin as he's as he's watching Leia's hologram and he tried to model his facial expressions and the different things that he did after Sir Alec Guinness, the voice, some of the ways that he said things. Even when he drops in on General Grievous in Revenge of the Sith and he goes, hello there, modeling after Sir Alec Guinness, a little nod to him there in that way. He did so many terrific little things that get unnoticed, that that, that bridge that gap between one portrayal of his character, which came in the original movies, to this one in the prequel movies that he was doing. And and his development of Obi-Wan goes from this this young Padawan who, who gets into the action in the first movie to he's trying to learn how to be a teacher in the second movie, and yet he's getting caught up in this war, and he's doing all this espionage work, to a general who is trying to hold things together in the third movie. Obi-Wan is just this constant presence, and you see this maturation happen all through throughout the movies with his character and the portrayal two great actors portraying him with Sir Alec Guinness and then Ewan McGregor so and Ewan's still a fairly youngish guy yeah if they do circle around or if Obi-Wan comes back in force form and he's on the bench waiting and, to come in and he's the reason why I think if they do go back and do something like that I think he will do great justice oh, to absolutely. that character absolutely. so Obi-Wan far and away my favorite character in in the series definitely my favorite so let's take a bit of a shift here now we've talked a lot of nostalgia what we've liked and where we've gotten to um we're talking about the future a little bit we've got the episode eight the last jedi coming out as of recording this and one month from now han solo spinoff eventually episode nine and now this new trilogy and a new live action tv series so star wars gonna have a long legs to it but have we seen some things lately to let us think that there might be some troubled waters ahead we're not just talking about the fact that um uh, we've had some change in directors. Gareth Edwards is now off of Episode Nine, and J.J. Uh, Abrams brought, been brought back in. You've got um, Ryan Johnson now going to be pretty much in charge of this new sequel trilogy. You've got um, the issues with the Han Solo change, Ron Howard being brought in, and the directors being kicked out. Yep. Um, you've also got some other issues with. Um, you name it, maybe some behind-the-scenes issues where maybe there's talk with uh, Kathleen Kennedy, who's the executive producer, having some personality issues, which may have a lot to do with Gareth Edwards being gone. Have we seen maybe some reasons to be nervous? Right now you've got the new Star Wars video game, Battlefront 2, that has blown up the Internet in a very negative way because of these micro... You haven't heard about this? No. Well, this might be more of an EA thing. This is pretty new, though. The, yeah, the game just came out less than a week ago. But they've, the way the game has been put out is all these microtransactions. Now, the game is like 80 bucks to buy it for your right. PlayStation or whatever. And two of the biggest heroes, you can't unlock unless you purchase them aside from that. Oh, no Luke, no. no Vader. Well, you can also earn credits as you play, but it would be 40 hours of gameplay. I was worried this was going to happen. The internet has blown up about this. And EA is trying to fend it off, but it's like trying to put out... Uh, a forest fire with one of those water toothpicks. You know, it's just, it ain't, it ain't working. In, you got the possibility of, and it looks like it might be back on, Disney and 20th Century Fox becoming one. And, of course, 20th Century Fox has the rights to the uh, first six Star Wars movies. Disney is going from Episode Seven onward. So it looks like Fox Corporation wants to drop the movie business, and Disney would be a potential suitor. So you got this potential merging here. So have we seen some potential 
of some rocky waters ahead. Well, we have, and the reason goes back to your original assertion about what happened with George Lucas, that this is my ball and you can't play with it kind of mentality that has followed Star Wars now for about two decades, going back to the way that Lucas handled the making of the prequel trilogy, and even to what you were saying about the breakdown going into Revenge, uh, Return, Return of, of the, the Jedi, Jedi, which was almost Revenge of the Jedi. Yeah, that's true. That was the original. <laughs> it title. was yeah. until like a month before it came right. out. Yeah, it goes back to to that kind of mentality, which I think has followed Star Wars even from George Lucas into its current iteration, and that is this this savage control that power and power struggle that continues to happen at the top of the creative making of this series that. You can't have it this way. It's got to be like this kind of thinking that has followed this series on even from Lucas. Lucas might not be attached to it anymore, but the people who are running the show for Star Wars continue to have that mentality all the way through, and I don't see that changing at all. I think that it's just going to continue to follow this series because whoever is in control creatively of the Star Wars universe has a very set idea of how this is supposed to look. They have certain parameters. They have certain ideas on how this is supposed to look. That's why there was the change that happened with the Han Solo movies. And that's why a guy like Ron Howard, who is a a Star Wars aficionado, was brought in because they know he's going to follow the line that they want to tread to make these movies. That's why they, they've made the changes to some of the future movies in terms of who's going to helm them. They want a certain vision in place. And now that they have had so much success with both The Force Awakens and Rogue One, and now anticipating success with The Last Jedi, they want to make sure that this is done right to a T, so much so that they will butt out anybody who is even a little bit askew on the path that they are trying to set for this series. That you can be creative, and you can come up with your ideas of how you want to do this, but you have to be within certain parameters if you want to make this work. And and that kind of mentality is carried on from Lucas. I think it's in a, a better vein because Lucas had his own vision of what was going to happen with these movies, and it did not play out well, especially with episodes one and two. He got it together with three, but it's still it was still kind of a makeshift have to kind of recover kind of thing but they are very much treading a a fine line here because they're they're butting people out in the process and they're saying you've got to to follow after this creatively it's it's kind of a little limiting but it is keeping that things in order in such a way that they want continuity as much as possible i tend to agree with you and we've talked about this a little bit in previous podcast if I had to get into the camp of uh, Kathleen Kennedy or the rest, I'm in the Kennedy camp. She's She's got a long, 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 long track record working with both George Lucas and Steven Spielberg going all the way back to Raiders of the Lost Ark. If she had a problem dealing with people, it would have come out by now. But now that she's overseeing things, you got two different issues with these directors being let go. It sounds like the Han Solo movie before Ron Howard came in was almost going to be Spaceballs-esque. It was going to be a space comedy that was Star Wars-y in a little bit. The ratio was off. There's nothing wrong with being Star Wars and having humor. 
but it was more humor with some Star Wars. The ratio was backwards. So Ron Howard has come in, and apparently, for the word is now, the movie that's been reshot essentially is going to be like eighty percent what Ron Howard shot, and most oh, of what it, most of what the, the first two guys have done. Uh, Mills and Miles and Lord, right? What was their, what were their names? There were two guys. I can't remember. So that's how fast they've gone away. Uh, most of what they have done is gone. And so, um, um, uh, it doesn't matter. Um, plen- then you've got Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. There you go. Miller and Lord. Uh, then you've got Gareth Edwards. That was more of a personality issue. And if you talk to some of the words that have come out from unnamed sources, he got kind of a big head and took that into Star Wars. Like he knew what he was doing. You couldn't tell him any different. And Kathleen Kennedy had different ideas about that. He didn't want to collaborate. Kathleen Kennedy's got a great history of track record of collaborating. Um, so I'm not really concerned about that kind of aspect. I think absolutely what you said is correct. You've got to be Star Warsian. There are certain elements. They, they just have to be there. The only question is, why didn't they get this figured out with these directors and these creative planners previously? Like It's almost as if they hired them expecting them to do this, but they didn't set that guideline up previously when they were looking for somebody to helm this vision. They just signed the people and then said, go do this. And then when they saw what they were making, it was like, no, 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 no. We got to pull you out now. I think that's kind of what it was. I think that the script had been written. One of the guys that uh, got involved in this, um, oh, I'm having a brain fart. He wrote the, he wrote the Han Solo movie, Lawrence Kasdan who had also written Empire Strikes Back, who had also written Raiders of the Lost Ark, so his credentials are in fine order. He and his son actually wrote the Han Solo movie. And so between Kathleen Kennedy, Kasdan, and I'm sure some other people, they're taking a look at the what are called the dailies. You get to take a look at what they shot that day coming back, and you know what they were supposed to shoot, but then you're looking at what they did shoot. They weren't the same thing. Here's the script. Here's the, what they shot. This is not what is in the script. There was so much that was changed that it was running way off course. They tried to reel them in, and it wasn't happening. So right. they had to have a come-to-Jesus moment, and it didn't pan out. And so now they were out. And so in comes Ron Howard, who, A, is a great director. B, he's worked with Lucasfilm before. He directed Willow. And he's just a great Star Wars fan. It was a perfect fit. It was. And apparently they've backtreaded so much. They've, uh, it sounds like they've gone back to the original script. And since what they were shooting was not the script, they just kind of improvised to the point that it was something else. They said, we're going back to the script, so reshoot these scenes the way they're supposed to be in the script, and that's what they've done. Bottom line, if they want to avoid this in the future, get your ducks in a row early on with figuring out how these directors are going to fulfill your creative vision that you seem to have that supersedes everything else. Get that figured out beforehand when you're figuring out who's going to helm these movies moving forward. Well, I think it's got to come to a communications breakdown, really. Because if you got Kathleen Kennedy as the, as the tip of this spear, this is a pretty broad spear. You've got how many movies are they working on simultaneously right now? You've got, uh, they're putting the finishing touches on The Last Jedi, assuming they're just tweaking it at this point. Uh, they're, they've finished filming most of the Han Solo movie. They're now done. Now they're in post-production. They're about ready to get going on episode nine. They're already plotting out what's, so they've got a lot of irons in this fire. How difficult do you think it would be for something just to kind of, you know, we should probably sit down and really have a talk. Let's have the directors, let's have the writers, have everyone in the room get on the same page and go. Did that happen? 
Or did it get to a point where the director's like, yeah, sure, sure, we'll do whatever we want to do anyway? As busy as things may be, that almost seems like it should happen. Yeah. It's a necessary conversation regardless of how busy things are. How many but, times have you been given an order to do something that you're like, yeah, 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 sure, I know better, and you go and do your own thing? It's that, true. It very well could yeah. be the case. So, but you know, there may be some troubled waters. Find me something that doesn't have troubled waters. You know? Correct. Yeah. So it's just it's part of the deal. Especially if you want to do it right. Yeah. So long as they can keep their eye on the ball, and if they are, let's say, going to get away from the Skywalker saga after Episode Nine and find some other corner of the Star Wars galaxy, probably not a bad idea because all these preconceived notions start to go away. So you might get a cameo from somebody. You might get if it's set in a parallel part you know it happens during the events of such and such maybe you will get an established character pop in for oh hi do you have a cup of sugar i could borrow (laughs) who knows all right before we get into some early previewing of the last jedi let's look back at how we've gotten here real quick i want to hear your rundown worst to best of the star wars movies and then i want to hear your favorite moments from the series that stand out as we continue here talking Star Wars on Rick and Nick Talk Flicks, which is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. My least favorite has got to be Attack of the Clones. It was the linchpin. The, usually the middle part of a trilogy is the weakest part because it's got so much exposition. It's just, it, the whole movie felt forced. It just, it just didn't really work. Really close, behind, really close ahead of it, I should say, is Phantom Menace. There was a lot of hype. It's not a complete loss, but it just didn't do it for me. After that, I think we get to Return of the Jedi, because it was a good movie. I liked it. It's a big gap here, keep in mind, between episodes one and six. Right. So it's a big, big leap. But it's it's just it was okay. It ended on a satisfactory note. It just it was okay, but it just seemed a little I don't know if varnished is the right word, but it's just I don't know. Something just kind of was different. And maybe it was the, the 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 divorce between Gary Kurtz and George Lucas. I don't know. Uh, I think just a notch above that is The Force Awakens. I really liked that movie a lot, but it really took a lot of elements from the original movie, which I think it kind of needed to do. To tell you the honest truth, I think uh, The Force Awakens, really what that was, was a writing of the ship. Once they've got the ship back on course, which was mission accomplished, now they can go forward, not just with Rogue One, but with, you know, we'll see what happens with The Last Jedi. Uh, Force Awakens goes into Rogue One. I really like that one a lot. And then, depending on the day, it's going to be the original or Empire Strikes Back for number one and two, neck and neck. But I think more often than not, Empire's got the neck lead just by a a nostril hair sticking out. Because I know you are very partial to the original. Yeah. Because of what a trendsetter it was and the way it started. Not not even if I factor that in. it It just captures me. And that's really what it comes down to. I mean, I can look into broader strokes, but it really comes down to... How well does it capture me? Yeah. And they both really do. And one more than the other on one day versus the other day. But generally, it's Empire by a nostril hair. Okay. Favorite moments? Favorite lightsaber battle? Favorite things that you like Mm. from the series? You know, just because of what was involved in it, even though it was one of the less good movies, the lightsaber battle at the end of uh, Phantom Menace, really, particularly when it's just Obi-Wan and and, uh, Darth Maul. From a visual sense, that lightsaber battle was extraordinary. Yeah, it really was. It was so that was something that was really fantastic. I really liked the asteroid chase in Empire Strikes Back. The pod race in Phantom Menace was fantastic. I like the interplay between Leia and Han when they're trying to deny this romance that they can't deny. 
Um, there's, I mean, there's really too many to go into, and I like a lot of the nods in The Force Awakens that kind of nodded back to the past. They're trying to get rid of Captain Phasma on this uh, on the Star Killer. Han comes up with the idea; you can see it in his face. Is there a trash compactor here? A garbage chute? Because yep. he knows. Oh yeah, little things like that oh, are like, yeah. oh, that's awesome. Yeah, things like that. I like the Yoda scenes. Uh, I could probably name just about every scene there is. I've got. I don't know if I have a favorite. I've got so many favorites. My order that I run run through. Should we call it the first order? The first order. <laughs> yeah. Well, yours was the first order technically. <laughs> yours was the first order since you went first. If you saw the Force Awakens, you got that joke. For me, uh, the worst one. I I did not like the Phantom Menace when I when I look back on it. I I saw it when I was young. I I saw it both in theaters and I also saw it at a drive through actually when it when it came out. I still remember the first time I went to go see it. I was so excited to go see the movie. I went to the bathroom six times during the movie. My dad still remembers it to this day, and he still groans to this day thinking about how often I had to go use the restroom. He was not a happy camper that night. When I look back, I was like, maybe it was better that I was in the bathroom so often. So, little Joel, would you like a drink? Yeah, Dad, give me the bladder buster. Yeah, exactly. And I was too excited then as well. Not a good combination. Um, looking back at that movie, it just... I, I can understand why Star Wars fans were so genuinely disappointed. I mean, from Jar Jar Binks to just the structure of it all to the the political things that took place within that movie, it was like, oh my goodness, this is, this is not good. I mean, action-wise and excitement-wise, it had its elements, but it all felt... But those elements, too, felt a little campy. With the way that that they came off, and it was it was disappointing. The space in that battle way. at the end, it was like, well, we should have a space battle. Yeah, let's have one. Let's let's Why? lump it in. It didn't yep. need to happen. Let's lump it in there. Yeah. But so so that was that was disappointing. Um, I put Attack of the Clones just above it because I liked the battle that they had in there. I thought it was I thought it was cool, kind of that that gateway to war kind of battle that they had in there um, and included and. But again, Hayden Christensen ruined it with with his performance in there, which was abysmal. It was it was so bad. He was one crumb one. on a bad crumb cake. It, it was just you know yeah. I can't you can't pin it but, on him. But boy, was he a big crumb. Yeah, he was oh, a big my crumb. They so, was, so was Jake Lloyd in the first one. Yes, yeah. So it was it was bad. I mean, those two you put them in just either the order. romance. It was like trying to have. Oh. Oh, Shakespeare fall in love with a tree. It was so unnatural. Force fed. Yeah. I, I like the water. Yeah. I hate sand. I don't like my, sand. Oh my goodness. Let's fall in love forbiddenly. Oh, shut up, both of you. It's coarse and rough. Where did this come from? Anyway, so super disappointing. Um, yeah. <laughs> we could we could go on and on about that. Um, so anyway, bottom two. Clearly, I have Phantom Menace at the bottom though because Jar Jar Binks. Um, just above them. That, this is where it starts to get a little bit more difficult. I would put The Force Awakens third from the bottom. I okay. The first time I saw it, I, I liked it a lot. Then I went and saw it with my brothers. And my brothers are, are very much more uh, critical. cut and dry, critical to the point. If they have an assessment of something, they'll be a bit more critical of it than I will. And... They pointed – we had a real argument in the car coming home, so much so that they stopped talking to me when we were coming home. And this was, this, this was two winters ago. It was, it was quite an argument when we were going home in the car. But when I look back on it, I was like, you know what? They were right about a lot of the things that they said, and I don't think I, I realized that. I mean how much they copied some of the things, oh, yeah. how – 
how they tried to force certain elements into the movie of characterization and and plot and different things. And I was like, you know what? They were right. And and it was almost too over the top from some characters. I like John Boyega a lot. I think he did a really good job. But I think he was a little too over the top sometimes with his characterization of Finn. And and I, I thought they were right about some of those things. I was like, you know what? It's true. They they tried a little bit too hard with things like that. Daisy Ridley was really good, but maybe went a little bit too over the top. I thought they were the right about over the top. What do you mean over the top? Like trying too hard to make their character this certain standout kind of character in a way. Not not trying to naturally fit in like a glove to it. Like okay. Han Solo, Harrison Ford fit like a glove. He was just this laid back casual slid right into it with the way that he did his character. It almost felt like they were trying too hard to be something new. It almost felt like within it, but their problem, and it, it wasn't really their fault was they were doing so in a movie where, like you said, so many elements mimicked a new hope in the way that it did that. So that didn't help. You've already got that comparison that's starting. And then you start to look at the way they do their character that much more. So it wasn't even really their fault. It was just the way the movie was set up. So that ended up knocking it down a couple notches. Still a good movie. So Still comes, a good movie. What comes after seven? Well, after, after that, I would, I would go up to return of the Jedi. Like you said, there's just a certain feeling to it. That's a little bit different from, the Empire Strikes Back and A New Hope, and that's that's where I would lodge it in. Still pretty good. Yep. It still ends things on a good note. I think the final face-off with Palpatine, there's a certain sinister nature to it, and, and even with the music that they put to it that that really helped add to the the suspense that of that. Um, I like the space battle in there, too. I, I thought that was a pretty intriguing one that they had. The Ewoks just... That added such a, a campy nature to that movie that was just like, this is kind of a bummer of an end that you're going to, to – you have these little teddy bears beating up on stormtroopers? What's going on here? Why even wear the uh, the armor, you know? It's exactly. One yeah. little when, tiny stick on your head when and they're you're getting, out? Yeah, when they're getting beat up on by rocks and little clubs and stuff, it, it, was, it was kind of bizarre. So anyway, still pretty good movie overall though. Like I said, much like – Force Awakens. These they're pretty bunched together. These top movies. After after uh, Return of the Jedi, up above that in the number three spot, I have Rogue One, which I I loved. I thought Rogue One was extremely well done. That Dirty Dozen kind of feel to the movie. I thought they I thought they they fit the storyline together brilliantly to lead into A New Hope with how well they fit the different elements together. You can say what you want about CGI Leia, and honestly, no matter what your opinion is, you've got a pretty good point to it with with all of that. But I thought with what they did story-wise, it was really good. And to take a group of characters who are are completely a one-off and to make you get so invested in their story worked out really great. And you get a great explanation of why the Death Star had its destructive element to it you get a really really good very creative explanation of how that came together plus there are some terrific actors and actresses who are in that movie and they fit their roles extremely well so rogue one it's pretty high up there at the number three spot it's pretty close to the top two number two a new hope It, it started it all you can see why it it latched onto audiences in such a tremendous way because it's so terrifically done. There's so much adventure to it, and you have all these elements that I that I mentioned earlier on here in the episode that 
that fit together so well to make it such a standout space opera movie that is an adventure too. But number one, and it's untouchable as number one, in my opinion, it's one of my all-time favorite movies, The Empire Strikes Back. More than than an nostril hair? More than an nostril hair. Back when I was, like like I said earlier on here in the show, when I was a kid, I would pop in The Empire Strikes Back over and over again, and and I, I, looking back, I, I, I kind of wasn't really sure why I kept on going back to that one. I think when I, when I look back, I was starting to realize what a really good movie was. Because that movie, it took what A New Hope did, which was it made this great adventure story that you have in space. And suddenly it added these layers to it in such a terrific way. It added the romance layer with, with Han and Leia. And it wasn't this out-and-out, in-your-face romance. It was this It happened this organically. It was this simmering, organic thing that was starting to happen below the surface. And neither one of them wanted to reveal it until they went throughout that movie. And finally... They they let it their feelings be shown just before Han's gonna go to the carbonut. There was I the, love you. Yep. I know. I know. <laughs> there was this there was this dark, sinister nature to it that suddenly all the good things that have been going on in the last movie, you could tell right from the start with Luke getting taken out by by that Wampa there early on in, in the uh in the movie, you start to realize this is going to be a different kind of movie this time around. It's going to be darker. Not everything is going to go well here in this movie, and it starts to play out that way. The chase, I, I think, is is terrific with trying to get the Millennium Falcon. They're basically on the lamb trying to get away, and then you've got Han frozen in Carbonaut. Luke loses his hand. He finds out that Darth Vader's his father. All these different things start to pile up as the movie is going on, and yet there is that twinge of hope at the end that, we're going to come back. We're going to find a way. And they are not out-and-out out plot points that, that you see, but it is a sensational movie on so many different levels with how dark it became, and yet it was dark with twinges of hope along the way as yeah. well. It, it was all done very subtly. Favorite moments throughout the series? If you ask me to pick a favorite lightsaber battle, that's going to be downright impossible because yeah. I think... Epi- I, the Phantom Menace, its redeeming quality was the lightsaber battle, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon against Darth Maul, who was maybe the most criminally underused character in the entire he series. He went the same route as Fett in Basically, a lot of ways. He became a, a huge, icon- iconic character, but didn't get enough time on screen or enough to say, really. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. That battle, especially the Obi-Wan versus Maul portion at the end, terrific. I thought the battle at the end of Revenge of the Sith between Obi-Wan and Anakin, as drawn out as it was, it lended it itself to that incredible, like, you knew it was going to be this huge final piece to end Anakin's turn to the dark side, and it really was. And to see the way that it broke Obi-Wan, it really does get to you when you see that. It's like, wow. It's this... like watching two brothers in a fight to the death. Basically. Yeah. It means something. Yeah. I thought the battle between Luke and Darth Vader it was such this. It, Which it was one? such a, a Which? in in the fifth one in episode in, of, or, in, okay in, Empire yeah, Strikes Back. Empire Strikes Back. I thought it it suited the movie perfectly. It's this grind where you know it's not going to end well as the as the battle progressively goes on. Even when Luke has maybe one triumphant moment or another where he gets out of the carbonut and doesn't get frozen, which. How about that for uh, what could have been? I always think about that. What if Luke had been frozen and had to go f- see Palpatine at Coruscant? Like, that's one of my favorite. They would have alternate- had to change the name of the movie. Episode 5, aw, damn. 
One of my favorite alternate universe thoughts about Star Wars is what if Luke had been frozen? What a dark place that would have gone to, like going on, on an alternate universe. I want to have a book on that or, or see a book on that. But <laughs> but anyway, like every little moment where he has a little success in that battle, it's followed up by a moment that just sinks your heart. Him getting blown out that window, then getting his hand struck off, and then, of course, that final pivotal piece with Vader's reveal, and then Luke deciding he he would much rather drop down to whatever awaits him down below. Um, you, you know, it, it was a perfect battle for that movie. But you could pick any one of those, and and I would say that's my favorite lightsaber battle. Other moments, um, I love when when Luke and Han fight off the Tie Fighters in in A New Hope. The music that's set to it is terrific. It just adds to the excitement of that battle. Um, I love in Rogue One when they're when they're going through the battle sequence. I thought the climax of Rogue One was was an extremely good one and and a great way to round all of that off. Like I said, the end of Revenge of the Sith. I think the last half hour, forty five minutes of that movie is is terrific. And I love how C three PO was the last character to speak in that movie, just like he was the first character to speak in A New Hope. That was a great way to round that off. And those those last couple of minutes. One of the, the disappointments I had of that movie was that they cut the scene where Yoda lands on Dagobah. It's such a yeah. simple little scene, and it would have fit in perfectly. Lucas, I th- he talked about how hard that was. That was the last scene they cut out, he said. And he's one that they hope eventually is going to on maybe one of the, the re-releases that it'll get on there. But they had to cut something out. They decided to go with that. I would have loved if they kept that in because it was such a simple little moment. But I have a far and away favorite moment. From the Star Wars saga. Hit me with it, Bubba. And I, I have it pulled up on my computer right now. It's when Yoda raises the X-Wing in The Empire yeah. Strikes Back. The moments that precede that and then him raising the X-Wing. There is maybe no scene in the entire series that gives me more chills than when he raises that. And it is one of my favorite scenes in any movie ever. There was something about it growing up that got a hold of me. And even it, it relates to the elements of, uh, of my faith that I have in such a real way, the things that Yoda speaks about in, in that, just talking about faith and, and the idea of that, which there's a lot of that laced in in the original three movies, a lot of elements of faith and, that tie in in a, in a very big way. And Yoda, for as quirky of a character as he showed himself to be already in that movie, and you think, oh, he's just this quirky guy, suddenly you realize he's heavy. There's a lot of wisdom in this character, and he reveals a lot of truth in there. Size matters not. Look at me. And and then he talks about, you know, do or do not. There is no try. And and having conviction to do these things and how those elements start to manifest themselves later in the movie. And the way he raises the X-Wing and the music that goes with it are just incredible and how you see this this failure for Luke in his training and how you think he's this invincible character this young invincible guy after he gets through the first movie like he does suddenly you realize and I hope this happens with Ray in this upcoming movie because Ray was pretty invincible in the last movie I mean the way she picks up a lightsaber and is able to to get the better of of Kylo Ren it was almost too easy. I hope she goes through elements of that in this upcoming movie. Luke went through that a bit in The Empire Strikes Back where he's not unbeatable. He's not invincible like he thinks he is. And this was one of them. And, and how he goes, I don't believe it when the X-Wing comes out. And then, and then Yoda looks up at him. That is why you fail. And it's all around. It is, it is chills-inducing 
every time I watch it. There are times where I'll just pull up that clip on my own and want to watch it because it's that good. So, and what an example of you know we keep bringing up Empire Strikes Back. That was really the best collaborative episode in all of them. You have, of course, George Lucas up front. Irvin Kershner, you got to give him a lot of credit. He, he was amazing. He directed it, yeah. and he brought a lot to it. That asteroid chase is, is remarkable. Yeah. Not, not just even in the direction, even in the stuff behind the scenes. He helped design Yoda, the eyes in particular. So this guy needs to have the eyes of Einstein. And that was Kirshner's partake in it. Um, you had Gary Kurtz were still involved, and a lot of mysticism was yeah. in that. And that was him. Uh, and even the actors themselves, the whole, um, you know, Han and Leia were supposed to say something different. It just wasn't ringing true because Lucas can't write dialogue. And so Basically. Harrison Ford said, I got an idea. Let me just wing something. And now we've got the iconic, I love you. I know. That was Harrison Ford. You know, everybody got to put a little something into the pot. And in later installments, when you realize there's somebody with an iron fist and this is how it's going to be, those movies didn't do so even, well. Even the way Leia said, I love you, it wasn't that I love you. It was, I love you. Like, it's that desperation that you hear. before you die. It's that desperation that, she, that you hear in her voice. It's like, wow, this, is, this was a really good way to put it all together. Well, it was a time of 80s love songs where the love can break the chains. That's what she was literally hoping for. <laughs> all right, let's start talking yeah. future. We'll start yeah, wrapping this real up. Real quick, let's wrap it up because it has gone as long as you expected here with this one. But Now we're talking about Episode Eight, The Last Jedi. At the time we're recording this, hasn't come out yet. It's been a month away from it. You might be listening to this after the movie's come out, so we might sound like idiots, but we haven't seen it yet. So impressions are you obviously you're looking forward to it yeah i'm looking forward to it i think there are so many threads that were left available after the force awakens that there is a real air of uncertainty going into this movie there are so many different directions that it could go that it really is hard to figure out this is what the linchpin to this trilogy it is what direction is luke's character going to go why has he disappeared away what went wrong when everything broke down for him with trying to get the new Jedi Order put together. I think we're going to get a lot of answers on that. Even the trailer reveal uh, it goes back to that and harkens back to that scene that we saw in the last movie in in a lot more ways, you know, with the hand bursting out and, and popping loose. It's We're going to find out a lot more about what went wrong with that and where Luke's psyche is with all this. Like I said... I hope there's less of an invincibility about Rey's character in this movie. You don't have to go the same direction with it as Luke's character did in The Empire Strikes Back. This has an Empire Strikes Back kind of feel to yeah. it, though. I hope it's it's not directly along those lines, though. I hope there's some new elements added in. It looks like we're heading toward an early Rey versus Snoke kind of meeting. It won't just be we have to wait for the Palpatine-type character until the ninth movie. It looks like they might be heading toward an early clash already. Why and how? I really don't know. What's gonna? What is the deal with Kylo Ren? What are his motivations? Like, is is he more of a strong character? I want some more strength out of him in this movie because he started out the last movie, and you think he stops that that blaster bolt in midair, and you go, okay, this guy is for real. And then by the end of the movie, he's getting beat by a character who is just realizing she has force capabilities. But that's part of his arc, is that he is a lot like you said Luke was in Empire Strikes Back. He thinks he's invincible. He's not. He's trying to become his grandpa, because his grandpa's Darth Vader. He's got that as uh, something to strive for. Vader was maybe the strongest Sith in the galaxy, and that's what Kylo Ren wants to be. But he's not. 
and he doesn't really have anybody to guide him. While right. Vader had Palpatine, who was another Sith, Snoke, apparently, as far as we know, he's a mysterious character, is not a Sith. He's, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. We don't know. But he's using Kylo Ren for his strength and abilities, and maybe that's used with the Force that Snoke can't use, as far as we know. You know what I would like to see, too, from this movie? I want to see more of an ex- explanation on, on the First Order. Where did it come from? How did it really get reborn of this this Suedo Empire connection? And how have they become so powerful on on such a, a micro level when it seems like the Republic should be reestablished and yet they're being called the Resistance? Why why is that the name and the moniker that they have when they are supposedly the the new governing body of the galaxy the, they're supposed they're, to be they're separate you know because the 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 empire didn't completely collapse a lot of its structural elements did you lost vader you lost the emperor you lost the death star but you know while there may have been and everyone some, was happy everyone was happy but i mean you still have star destroyers in other parts of the galaxy there was still a strong imperial component so something had to rise up and kind of take this all together and reestablish it so now, who's in charge you assume, kind of what it, I'm trying you to assume it's out. snoke so who was snoke back then how did he give the clout to pull all things together but essentially think of the empire now as a power vacuum no vader no palpatine somebody stepped up and that was snoke who was snoke so is we he don't know. running the galaxy or is there this he's this running push the and pull? he's running what is the, what is left of the empire now the new order but then you have the republic the new republic they aren't the resistance the resistance is an offshoot of the republic in fact when they test fired that star killer base you assume they wiped out Coruscant because they took out the Republic. That's what it looks like. Yep. So now all that's left of the Republic is the Resistance. The Resistance was like an unofficial militia part of the New Republic. Okay. They were supported by and funded by, but they were not not the same. Gotcha. Make sense? Yeah, that does make sense because it sounds like there's more of a power struggle going on galactically. There might be now because you kind of get the – you don't know how far broad-ranging that attack was, but you kind of get the impression they took out Coruscant with that uh, that blast from the Starkiller base. So now there is a power vacuum. There's no more, we assume, there's no more Republic. It's just the First Order. If the playing field was pretty imbalanced between the Rebellion and the Empire in the original trilogy, I think we're seeing that the playing field is a little bit more level between the Resistance and the First Order, although the First Order has more technology to it. The Resistance got the upper hand in the last movie, whereas in, in A New Hope... The rebellion sort of got back into the fight a little bit by beating the Death Star. They were still under overmatched, and it showed that in the next movie. I think we're going to see a pushback coming here from the First Order with the battles that look to be on tap in this movie, with the way that they are lining up. It looks like we're going to have a pretty big pushback, both in space and on the ground, wherever they may be taking the fight with this one. There's a big pushback that it looks like is coming. How does what is going on with Ray's training and and all that's happening with Kylo Ren's next phase of his training factor into it? I think we're going to see the connections between those characters be revealed in a new way here. I honestly have no idea what direction it's going to go for the connection between the characters, though. I think there are a lot of good theories that are floating around out there. Surely some of them are going to be right because... There are some good ones that are floating around. Just about every theory under the sun is in play here for this movie. And there are no really good threads that you can make a connection to. But I I have a feeling that in some way, Ray is related to Luke. In I'm, some yeah. way, they are related. I agree. So let's finish it this way. You're going to go see this movie that we both really, really want to go see. You're going to go into this with hopes 
expectations, maybe some fears, maybe some trepidation as to what could happen, both with the story and with the movie itself. Give me one example of something you are hoping you'll see with The Last Jedi and something you're really hoping you don't see. I'm hoping I don't see the kind of dark turn that everything that everything took in The Empire Strikes Back. I want to see some good elements taking place in this movie. I want to see some some good things that are taking place within the context of the story. I don't want to see everything turn completely dark or turn dark in such a way that The Empire Strikes Back did where Every character sees a real downturn in their in their fates or in their story. I want to see some good elements still existing. If there are some some dark things that happen, I want to see it maybe happen on like a Ray level or on on maybe the Ray and Luke story level. I don't want to see everything turn completely dark though, in the same manner that that it did in The Empire Strikes Back. I don't want to see it go completely that route. So, what is it you're hoping you do see? I'm hoping I do see. A resolution on Luke's character, a, a true, a, a clear line of where his character is going. Is I'd this, like, was this just with the Last Jedi, or would this be this and Episode Nine and two movies? I'd like to, do to it? see that with the Last Jedi. I'd like to see some some resolution on where his character is going, so that it will set his character up to be a piece of the final movie. I I hope that his character doesn't completely go in this movie. I'd like to see his character play a role in the final movie. In, in some major way. I don't want to see his character suddenly become this central figure in this movie and then, boom, he's gone by the end of this movie. I want to see his character play a role in the final movie in, in, some, in some way. That he his side is clearly figured out or maybe he figures out his side in this movie and then that allows him to play a role in the final one even if in some way they end Luke's story in the final movie. I got a feeling... That that's not going to happen. I think he will be in episode nine. Just for the sim, I hate to bring it up because of Carrie Fisher. So we know we've, we've we've been told she won't her character won't be killed off in this movie. But the actress is gone. She will not be in episode nine. Probably will be referred to in some way, shape, or form, but will not be gone. So if she's going to be having her last appearance in this movie, you can't necessarily pull the rug out from under that by having Luke disappear too. It'd be too many balls in the air. I think if whatever the original plans may have been before Carrie Fisher died, I don't think that's going to be the case now per se. I got to think Luke's going to make it into episode nine one way or the other. Right. Because I don't think you can have two major characters like that disappear for different reasons. One gets killed off and then one actress dies in real life. I think that would be too much to swallow. That'd be tough. That'd yeah. be tough. So I, I think I, they know that. Let's let's see that carryover take place then. And and. Really, I don't want to see Luke's character go dark because that's not Luke Skywalker. I Even agree. if he was broken by what happened with all of the temple, this has been a, a story centered around him for think, so long. I think it's and, confidence is what he needs. That's yeah. why he's on both of those posters. His biggest adversary is himself. But at the same time, I do want to see some elements of flaw in Rey and in her character. It yeah. was almost too perfect, last movie. It was too perfect with the way that she discovered her Force ability and then was able to defeat Kylo Ren in the way that she did in that final battle. What let's, about this theory? Let's see her go through some development. What about this theory? Everyone thought that Anakin was the chosen one, supposed to bring balance to the Force. What if they were only partially right? What if Anakin, Anakin well, I'm assuming that Luke and Rey are related in somehow, which means that Anakin and Rey are related in somehow. So what if Anakin, in a way, was the chosen one to bring about Luke, to bring about Rey, 
So Ray is actually the chosen one. She is more midichlorians, which is the stupidest thing. She is the one that will bring balance to the force. So she's got un- beyond belief powers in the force, even given, compared to Yoda. Given the way that Anakin Skywalker has permeated through all the movies to this point, even his legacy yeah. into these movies, I would not like if that was the case. Because it centered around him being the chosen one to bring balance. That... that permeated through all the movies and so too did his character even when he went dark his turn his change his defeat of palpatine the way he brought it into balance redeeming of his character all of that at the end of episode six uh, to to take that away and and say somebody else would be the chosen one i'd be disappointed with that but what about the possibility that it's not anakin it's the skywalkers it been you know any anyway true if she is connected to it yeah, yeah if she is what I'd like to see is something organic. I want to see something flow out of this movie. Absolutely. That's not, you know, I hope they don't already have an end game in mind for episode nine. And I want it to an, feel organic. Yeah, I don't want it to feel pushed that we're going, we're trying to make something happen that's just not happening. What I all and that's what I don't want to see happen. That's kind of the same answer for both. I want to see it organic. I don't want to see it pushed. I want to see something uh, with all the characters, with the story in general, and with the franchise. I want it to go wherever it's going to go. That is a great way to round it off because I'm hoping for the exact same thing. So, good stuff, Dave. What an episode. Oh, my goodness. Rick How long and did Nick, we go? Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. What an incredible episode. If you love Star Wars, hope you enjoyed sticking with us for an extra long edition of Rick and Nick Talk Flicks today because we're more than a little excited for The Last Jedi coming up next month. We're ramping up for it, so you've got about a month or so to listen to this and get ready for it. It opens up, uh, we'll, just call it, we'll call it mid-December because I bet you They'll move up the start date a little bit. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. Thanks for joining us. And yes, we will see you in a galaxy far, far away at the movies.